preach a little bit about those wasted opportunities or if you don't like the negative title you can talk about the making sure you seize the moment it's so important but uh, I was I was looking through it and I found some some wasted opportunities uh, illustrations and so one I had never heard of before some of them I, I have but actually two of them I'd never heard before so let me just give you right now just a few uh, wasted opportunities and I want you to think about how things could have been different it was said that that many years ago there was a a energetic young man that became a clerk in a hardware store and if you've ever walked into one of those old timey hardware stores and I'm not talking about you know Lowe's or Home Depot or Menards but uh, a, a true uh, you know family owned hardware store you know that the inventory of that store contained thousands of dollars worth of items that were either obsolete or nobody wanted them. They had just hadn't sold in years. They were just sitting there on the shelf. And so that young man had some business sense and he realized that as long as those took up room on that shelf, it wasn't making any money. In fact, it probably cost that store money uh, because if they could empty up some shelves, they could sell merchandise that would uh, be able to go through through. And so he asked the old uh, man that was the owner of the store, he said, could, could I, you know, have a sale and uh, let's put a, a table up in the middle of the store. We'll mark these down quite a bit because obviously you're not going to get anything out of it and let's, let's sell it. And so the owner didn't quite, he was kind of reluctant when it came to this, but finally he agreed to allow that young man to set up a table in the middle of the store and sell off a few of the oldest items, and this young man, now that we're talking years and years and years ago, this young man labeled every uh, item at 10 cents. And it was amazing, the sale was a success, in fact it was such a success that the man allowed the young man to do another sale, and this too went over just as good as the first. And it gave this young man an idea, and he went to the owner of the store, he said, what if we could open a store that would only sell nickel and dime priced items. We could, we could do it. Why don't you, help me out. If you'll provide the capital, I'll run that store. You know, we'll open a second store. It'll just be a five and dime store. You've heard that phrase before. It'll be just a five and dime store. And uh, I just need some capital to get it started, but it will work. Well, the young man's boss was not very enthusiastic about the idea. In fact, he said, and I quote, this plan will never work because you will never find enough items to sell at a nickel and a dime. The young man was very disappointed and, and he thought for a little bit, but finally he eventually decided to go on his own and he opened a store and it was a great success. The young man's name was F.W. Woolworth. Woolworth Stores. Years later, somebody asked the boss, the older man, and this is what the, the boss said about a missed opportunity. He said, as near as I can figure, every word that I used in turning down Woolworth cost me about a million dollars. Every word that I used to tell him it can't be done cost me about a million dollars. Wasted opportunities. I've used this illustration before, maybe some of you remember it, but did you know that uh, most of us know that, that you have the, you know, Apple and all of its incredible, just it takes over the world, if you will, 
and uh, I, I have a, 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 a aversion to Apple products. Um, I figured Eve ate the apple and look at where it got the world, so I'm not going to bring any of that into my hands. Now, it is in my house because my family all has Apple, but I'm an Android-only uh, person. But Apple is definitely amazing, and you have uh, different things. You can, But did you know that the beginning of Apple was not as grand as we see today? And it was that in 1976, three men got together and they started Apple. In fact, there was an original contract that was written. There was a logo. It's not the logo that you are familiar with or any of its, its variations. But there was a logo that was designed. And that logo and that contract was designed by a man by the name of Ron Wayne. He, he began to go in there, Wayne and Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, they all got together and they, they did it. And two weeks later, after starting Apple, Mr. Ron Wayne got to looking at how it was going and he got a little bit of cold feet. And he was afraid that it was not going to take off the way he thought. And he, he thought, he said, you know what, tell you what, let me just withdraw my 10% stake and why don't you buy me out? And so it was that Jobs and uh, uh, Wozniak bought him out for his stake of $1,500. In doing that, that 10% stake that he had in the opening of Apple today, and actually this is a little older, this was from 2010, so I have a feeling that, that this article, if they would write it today, it would be even more. But, but in, in 2010, that 10% stake that he sold out for, for $1,500 would now be worth $15 billion, or I'm sorry, $23 billion. He lives in, in uh, London, I believe, and so they were doing it in pounds. So it would be worth $23 billion dollars he kind of sold out wasted an opportunity now if you ask him and you can read different articles honestly he's not too been out of shape he he hasn't he, he still has contact with them and he said you know what I did what I did he doesn't hold anything against him but can you imagine selling out for fifteen hundred dollars when you could have 23 billion wasted or missed opportunities but there's, there's one story that really got me, and uh, I, I begin to look into it. But in 1629, uh, uh, no, let me, let me give you the right one. In 1269, got a little dyslexic for a moment. In 1269, Kublai Khan sent a request from uh, Peking to Rome, and he sent it to the Pope. He said, would you send me a hundred wise men in the Christian religion? I, I want you to come and I want you to bring them to me and I want to be baptized and when I am baptized I want all of my barons to be baptized and, and I want you to teach us, I want you to guide us I want there to be more Christians in, in my country, in my place than anywhere else in the world the Mongols at that point were, were, were wavering between religions they didn't know what they wanted to do and it was, perhaps, as he would have forecasted, one of the greatest mass religious movements the world has ever seen. But Pope Gregory X answered that call by sending two Dominican friars. 
They took the trip. They got as far as Armenia. They could no longer endure and they returned home. And so it was perhaps a great missionary opportunity was wasted when there was a hungry soul asking for some help. Wasted opportunities. In the Bible, I, I spoke to you of those who, who made sure they, they took advantage of the opportunity. But there were some wasted opportunities in the Bible. And I want to take you to one that maybe you've never thought about before. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 6. And uh, I, I want to tell you a story and let you see it in the Bible so you know that I'm, I'm right. And I'm not just making stuff up. And I want you to see how it goes. In the book of Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 14, again I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, King Herod heard of it for Jesus' name had become known. Some had said that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead and this is why these miraculous powers are at work at him. Some others said he is Elijah and others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. And when John heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now, most of you that have a working knowledge of the Gospels, you know this for a fact, that, that John the Baptist, that, that forerunner of the Gospel that came and preached uh, and, and said, you need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That same John the Baptist that stood there when Jesus walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God which comes to take away the sins of the world. Well, we know that John the Baptist was beheaded. In fact, here in Mark chapter 6, you have a flashback. For it says that in verse 17, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodus, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Herod was not the greatest person in the world. He uh, had married his brother's wife, and, and, and I'm sure that didn't make everything perfect. And he was there, and John had been preaching, though, to Herod. This is verse 18. John had been preaching to Herod, saying, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so, obviously, when the preacher starts to preaching, and he's preaching something that someone doesn't like, Herodus got a little mad about it. And so Herodus had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he had heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodus' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and the guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And the king, uh, uh, and he vowed to her, Whatever you ask, I'll give it up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? And she said, her mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And the girl came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths, his guests did not, he did not want to break his word to her. So immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to his mother. Most of us, I would think, again, if you have a working knowledge of the Gospels, you would know that, that King Herod uh, uh, decapitated John the Baptist. 
Would you let me just stop for a moment? I just cannot escape it. And I have another sermon that I'm working on that's going to come later on in the year uh, in, in a plan that I have. But can I, just, can I just stop and interject in the middle of my sermon about wasted opportunities? Can I talk to somebody for just a moment and tell you that this is a perfect example of what bitterness and hatred and offense will do to you? I want you to think, I'm getting away from where I want to go, but I just got to tell somebody, watch this. This young girl, she, she, she pleased the king, and the king said, I'll give you half my kingdom. And she went and asked her mom. Her mother would have been the mother of half the kingdom. And she was able to sell it out because of her hatred for John the Baptist for a nasty old decapitated head that maybe made her feel good for a moment. But what do you do with a decapitated head when you could have had half the kingdom? That's what bitterness will do. That's what offense will do. That's what resentment will do. But, but, but I, I digress. I've, I've got to get back to this. When you know the stories and you, you grow up hearing the stories of the Gospels, you, you, you tend to do as we do with any type of story, whether you read it in a book or you watch a movie, you have your heroes and you have your villains. It's amazing. Sometimes uh, actors have given uh, some, some interviews, especially actors that have played a, a villain that, that really was just kind of a, 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 an incredible villain. And, and they will say it's hard for them to walk down the street because people don't see him as the actor, they see them as the villain. I mean, I guess I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but have you ever read a book or have you ever watched a movie and got so connected to the story it almost became real to you and you kind of got mad when the villain did what they did and, and, and maybe, God forbid, the hero uh, gets hurt or the hero dies and it feels like one of your own family got hurt. I mean, you know, you kind of pull into that story, you get sucked in and we do the same when we come to the Bible. John the Baptist, that's the hero. Jesus, that's the hero. But man, if I was to, to tell you the name of, of Jezebel or if I was to tell you the name of, of Herod or if I was... Uh, to tell you some of those, you would probably have a low view of them. I don't know if you caught it when I read through it, but I'd like to slow down and I'd like to read it to you again because it's amazing what happens when you start to slow down and read God's Word. You see things you've overmissed because if you read it fast, your preconceived notions kick in and you just assume that Herod was an awful guy and had always been an awful guy. But I want you to see what... It said, Herod, uh, Herodus had wanted to, to put John the Baptist to, de to death. This is verse 19 of Mark chapter 6, but she could not. And watch what it says. For Herod feared John, knowing he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he, when Herod had heard him, that's John, when Herod heard John preach, he was greatly perplexed, yet heard him gladly. If you go back and look at John the Baptist's life, John the Baptist didn't pull any punches. John the Baptist was a priest, or at least he was of the priestlyhood, uh, uh, priesthood. His father was a priest. And so John the Baptist would have known the scriptures. John the Baptist would have known the prophecies. But he steps out this rough and tumble man. The Bible says he was clothed in leather and camel skin. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And his beard was long and maybe a little matted. He looked a bit like a wild man. 
But when John the Baptist preached, he wasn't afraid to point his finger. And it didn't matter if you were just one of the the townspeople or if you were one of the ruling class or if you were one of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He didn't pull any punches. He looked everybody in the eye and he said, you need to repent and you need to be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is drawing nigh. Read through it. Look at all the Gospels. Look at the account of John the Baptist. The entire cities and entire countryside would come out to hear him preach. He would gather there at the Jordan River and they would have a baptismal service that would last. It Seemingly it had to have lasted all day long because hundreds and probably thousands were hearing and heeding the voice of John the Baptist. And they were, being, they, they, they were repenting of their sins and they were being baptized. He, he talked to the Pharisees. He talked to the Sadducees. He got them mad. He, 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 he told them what they were doing was not acceptable. The way that they were operating was not right. They were hypocrites. That's one of the words he uses. And so I'm pretty confident that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those uh, Jewish religious leaders, they got their, their dander up and they got offended. And, and probably some of them walked away and they missed an opportunity. But Herod... John the Baptist had a relationship it seems that, that John the Baptist was able to talk to Herod and preach to Herod and the Bible said that even though Herod was perplexed and sometimes he didn't know quite how to take John he heard him gladly I'll tell you right now I would prefer that if I'm going to tell somebody and if I'm trying to, to, to present my case or maybe make an argument or try to convince someone, I would much prefer that they would listen and at least give me a chance to say my piece than to just throw me out on the street. Amen? Herod was willing to give John the Baptist a chance and in fact even perhaps was beginning to see the light. But the world got in the way. Relationships that he probably shouldn't have been in to begin with got in the way. And, and, and that wife that he had no business marrying and, 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 and she had begged him, could you please kill, kill John the Baptist? And, and when Herod was at that moment where he could finally accept the word of God, a relationship cost him everything. When he said, I'll give you whatever you want. And Herod says, well, why don't you kill John the Baptist? And Herod didn't want to lose face. Herod didn't want to seem weak. And so he gave in. And John the Baptist was killed. And Herod missed his opportunity. Can you imagine how the story might have been different if Herod would have just listened and responded if he would have seized the moment when 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 John the Baptist was preaching but instead he missed his moment it's sad when you think about how many people have come to church and they've hear, heard the word of God and they've seen what God has done in their life and then something derails them outside and they never get back and they miss their moment Would you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 24? Let me show you about another missed opportunity. You probably uh, know this one. This is Paul now, and Paul is standing, uh, and, and he is in custody. And again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I want you to look at verse 22 of Acts chapter 24. 
But Felix, he was one of the governors and, 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 and he had a, a, a uh, political office. But Felix, having a, a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put Paul off by saying, or, or put them off saying, when Lysus the tribune has come down, I will decide your case. There was some uh, Jewish leaders that had brought up a complaint against Paul. They had trumped up some charges and they were wanting to see if they could get uh, Paul thrown in prison or, or, or even worse, killed. And so they had come to Felix. They had presented its case and Felix uh, understood some things and saw some holes in their argument. And so he said, I'm going to put you off. Let's wait until the, the soldiers come. But he gave orders to the centurion that Paul should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented to attending his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Trusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed, and he said, Go away at the present, for when I get an opportunity, I will summon if you read the King James Version, it says, Why don't you go away and when I have a convenient season, I'll call you back. Let me think about this for a minute, Paul. When, whenever I, I let, let me think about it and when it's convenient for me, I, I, will, I will come back. And the Bible says in verse 26, At the same time, Felix hoped that money would be given to Paul. And he sent for him often and he conversed with him. And two years elapsed. And Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. For two years, the greatest apostle and the greatest evangelist this world has ever known spoke often, the Bible says, to Felix. For two years. Now you see, I'm going to be honest with you. I've read this. I've understood it and I've always seen that when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you, Paul. I've, I've seen that. I've, I've preached about that. Don't waste it. But what happened when you slow down and read the Bible is that two years jumps out. I, I want to I grab Felix and I want to shake him and I want to ask him this. Felix, are you telling me in two years you never had a convenient season to respond? Two years went by. And he lost his opportunity for that. I could take you further. I could take you to the, 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 the Agrippa, uh, one of the kings as well, that Paul spoke to. And Paul was talking, this is verse or chapter 26 in, in verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, that's the one that proceed, or, or, or succeeded Felix, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, you believe the prophets. I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Agrippa was hearing the defense of Paul. And, and Paul understood that Agrippa knew what was going on. And Agrippa said, Oh, in such a short time, if I had just a little bit more time, I think, Paul, you might even convince me. 
Maybe King Agrippa said that in a flippant manner. Maybe he was being sarcastic. But the words are recorded for all of history that, that, that King Agrippa kind of said, if he had just give you a little bit more time, I think you could get to me. It's amazing missed opportunities. But in the midst of the missed opportunities, the Bible is full of those who seized the moment. Those who had their, their chance and had their opportunity. I love reading the story that you find in the book of Acts where, where uh, uh, Philip is having a revival in Samaria. And it's amazing. This is in, in chapter 8 of Acts, the book of Acts. But Philip is in Samaria. It's a great revival. Things are happening. But God begins to speak to Philip and says, I need you to leave this great revival and I need you to go down into the wilderness for there in the wilderness you're going to meet one person. Philip leaves that revival. He goes into the wilderness, the desert if you will. And as he's just kind of walking saying, Lord, why am I here? He sees a, a Ethiopian eunuch one of the court officials of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He was in charge of all of her treasures and he's in a chariot as it goes and it passes close enough to Philip that, that he hears that Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud the scriptures that are found in Isaiah. Philip speaks up and says, do you understand what you're reading? And that eunuch says, I don't have a clue. I don't know what it means when it says in Isaiah 53, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life was taken away from the earth. I don't understand it, sir. Is this talking about the prophet Isaiah or is it talking about somebody else? Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, Philip began to preach to him the good news of Jesus Christ. I, I, I want you to come back tonight because tonight I'm going to preach to you uh, about the, the, the theology of penguins. And, <laughs> and I'm going to take it from the Great Commission. And tonight I want to show you what God has called each one of you to do from the Great Commission. And we're going to do it through the theology of penguins. But, but I, I want you to know that the greatest thing that God has ever called you to do, you may never stand behind the pulpit and preach. You may never get behind a mic and sing. In fact, you may never do some of the things that we in our minds uh, 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 kind of say, well, that equates ministry. The greatest thing that you can do is find one hungry soul that has been praying or reading their Bible or searching for the things of God. The greatest thing is to be in a place where you can tell someone the good news of Jesus Christ. If you in your life will do that, then you will do well. If you never preach a sermon, it's okay. Some of the greatest sermons that will ever be preached is around a coffee mug and a table when you say, let me tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. Come tonight, I'll explain that to you. But, but here is Philip, and he tells him the good news about Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing. A hungry person, when, when placed in the presence of God, will respond. I'm almost done. You've, you've heard me tell the story. But when my wife and I, we hadn't been pastor here very long. It's been about 10 years ago. It was our first year of pastoring, I believe, or, or even first couple of months. And we had the Missouri District uh, All-State Choir come and sing for us. 
We were so excited. We were a very small church back then, and, and, and it was cool to have some 32 people come and gather, and, and it was young people from across the state of Missouri, and they, they came and they sang, and we had a great time, and, and I, I wanted to feed them, and so I asked those of you that were here, I asked you to, let's, let's make a, a potluck dinner, and you know we got some fried chicken, and a lot of you made different things, and, and we were going to feed them. We were downstairs uh, here, and the doors had still been open. Everybody had left, basically, except the, the choir. And this lady came in, and she was rough. She lived on the street. She smelled pretty bad, and she came in. Sister Stacy, I think you were here during that time. And she came in, and, and she kind of frightened these kids. They were a little concerned about the way she was acting, and, and she was off. And, and I understand that. But you know what? I've learned in my life that God loves those people, too. So I, I met this lady. I said, how, you know, what's going on, Pastor Brandon? How can I help you? And she goes, oh, I'm starving to death. I haven't eaten in forever. She says, I just, I just need something to eat. Well, okay. This is perfect. Because I got a whole spread of food out here. I had four or five tables full of food. I said, tell you what, I can feed you right now, and I can give you some to go. And this lady, remember, she had told me she hadn't eaten in days. She came in and she, she went there and she goes, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. She went down the whole list and she said, I don't like any of that food. Can't you just give me some money? I began to realize something. She wasn't really hungry. There's one thing in this world I despise more than anything and I despise green bean casserole. I don't even want to smell it. I won't even taste it. But if I was hungry, I'd hold my nose and I'd choke it down because I'm not about to die because I don't like green bean casserole. A truly hungry person, hungry for God. Maybe God's been talking to you in the middle of the night. Maybe you've been reading your Bible and you've been seeing things and you desperately want God to tell you what they mean. Maybe somebody witnessed to you somewhere and, 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 and you've developed this hunger for the things of God. A truly hungry person acts the way this Ethiopian eunuch did. When he heard the good news about Jesus, this is what he said. Stop! They stopped that chariot. He said, look, I've heard you talk. I've heard you preach. Here is some water. It's an oasis. What doth hinder me from being baptized? He didn't waste a moment. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the, and the eunuch. And Philip baptized that eunuch. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord car carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. I could take you, and I don't have time, I could take you to the story of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, a devout man, a centurion of the Italian band, and he had been praying, and he'd been seeking and saying, God, I need somebody to help me. And meanwhile, across the area, across the, the way, and, 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 and a three days journey, I believe, Peter's up on the rooftop and he's praying. God brings those two together. They go and they get Peter and some others and they go to Cornelius' house and Peter sits. Go read it, Acts chapter 10. Peter begins to preach. Same thing Philip did. He preached the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the gospel. And the Bible says, while Peter yet spake, meaning he was still preaching, the Holy Ghost came down and filled that entire household. And when they were done with that, that entire household was baptized in the name of Jesus. 
they didn't miss the opportunity. I've watched people come to church and I've watched God get a hold of them. I've watched tears run down their face. I've watched them literally shake because they didn't know what they wanted to do. And I've watched God do everything but pick them up. And they leave and they walk out of those doors. And they never come back. And they missed an opportunity for God to touch them. I would direct your attention. I know I use this a lot, but why not? It's one of the most beautiful pictures of salvation. Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost when, when, when the Lord that had walked on this earth and had walked with Peter or Peter and James and John and all of that and now he's ascended into heaven. Easter's over and the, 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 he's gone back to heaven and they're, they're left alone but he told them, he said, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Go to Jerusalem. Wait there for the promise of the Father. Wait until I send the comforter in my name. Wait till I come to you. Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all there in one mind and one accord and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting there appeared unto them cloven tongues like fire it sat down on the head of each of them and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance God became to rest and reside in their souls it must have been quite a ruckus because there were those outside that heard what was happening and they were confused. They thought they were drunk up there. Peter walks out, this newly filled with God's Spirit. Peter walks out and he looks at that crowd. I have to think there were over 3,000 there because the Bible says 3,000 were added to the church that day. So I have to think there was a great crowd. Peter begins to preach, these guys aren't drunk like you think. It's too early even. But this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel and starting in the Old Testament. Peter began to preach the gospel. And Peter began to say it was prophesied in the Old Testament that God was going to come to earth and God was going to, to walk with us and He was going to provide of Himself a sacrifice that would save the world. No longer do you have to kill the donkey or the, uh, the bulls and no longer do you have to kill the lambs. No longer do you have to have those sacrifices for the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world is here. And he preached somewhere from the back of the crowd. Now the Bible says that, that uh, the, the Bible says when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. I don't know, have any of you seen that, that little video that goes around YouTube and goes around Facebook and it's two little toddlers and they're fighting? And, and one of the to toddlers pokes the young little toddler boy on the chest and, you know, in, in all of the venom that a little toddler can, can, can get, just, I mean, it, it really was funny, but, you know, just hurt that little boy so bad. And he began to cry and he held his heart and he said, you hurt my heart. That's what it means to be pricked in your heart. Not that God hurts us, but it's where it gets right there. Something is, is said and it hits right here. Whatever Peter was preaching, it got a hold of that crowd and they begin to ask, look, we've heard the gospel. I don't want to miss the opportunity. And it says in verse uh, 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 30, uh, 37, it says, what must we do? Because there were those that said, I'm not going to let an opportunity pass me by. 
In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, then Peter said unto them, you need to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and promises unto you and to your children and all that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call that's what you need to do so you don't waste an opportunity would you stand with me across this place I could take you to Matthew chapter 13. We could go and we could spend some time there talking about the parable of the pearl of great price and the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. And all you need to know is that this was God telling us, don't miss an opportunity. Don't let this day of salvation pass you by. Two places in the word of God gives us this. The first one happens in Isaiah 49 and verse 8. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And Paul heard that and understood that. And the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 1 through verse 2. Paul says, I'm telling you, you have not received the grace of God in vain. And he goes on to quote that. Today is the day of salvation. Don't let it pass you by. Seize the moment. I don't want you to look back over your life and be like, like the founder of Apple that kind of walked away and he got $1,500 it felt good for the day but look at what he left on the table instead when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we that remain shall be caught up with him and we enter on to that judgment day I want him to look at you and say well done my good and faithful servant and you can look back and say it was worth it it was worth it. I remember the day I seized the moment. I remember the day the word of God was preached. I remember the day that I repented of my sins I remember the day that I was baptized. I remember the day he came and lived in me. And it was worth every moment. I want you just to close your eyes for a second. As this team behind me begins to sing, I want you and God to have a conversation for a moment.